Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of Native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of Indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us. This is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Uh, got a good show. I've got a couple of, uh, I, you know, I got an issue that I want to talk about. I've, in a way, I've talked about it before. Uh, I was going to call this show Words Matter, and they do. But well, I, the other thing that matters is the words that we choose to use. I mean, let's be honest here. We identify ourselves with words, and oftentimes, more often than not, we're using words in a language that are not that is not ours originally. We're using English. We identify ourselves with these words. We we communicate with these words. We teach with these words. We argue with these words. We sing. We text on our phones. Create memes with these words. And sometimes, we're using words that we don't really know what they mean. And and these er, these words enter our vocabulary, and we. We hear them, and they, they might appeal to us at, at some level. So we use them. And you know, for, first off, they get pinned on us. Many of these get pinned on And I'm going to talk about those kinds of words, too. But there's other words that we just kind of gravitate towards, you know, words like sovereignty. We, we, hey, we like that word. We're going to use that. And, and we appropriate that word from a language without even delving into what these words mean. So I want to talk about that a little bit. And, and I want to take this conversation to beyond labels, that we apply to ourselves or have been applied to ourselves and take it a little farther. I mean, one of the things that, that I'm making a commitment to do is other than when I can't, when I have to do it electronically and I don't have a whole lot of choices, but anytime I use my address, my home address where I live, I have a post office box. So that's one thing, but, but where I live, my residential address, I'm no longer going to call my address Perrysburg because it's not Perrysburg. I mean, I realize that's the way the post office identifies it, but that doesn't make sense to me for me to call it that. So I'm going to call it what it is. The, I live on Logan Road on the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. I don't need to put New York State. I don't need to put Perrysburg or Gowanda or Irving or, or anything else. Look, I can use the zip code. So it'll, it'll if you put a zip code down, the mail will get to you no matter what. But... The idea that, on our, that when we write it ourselves and we still are calling where we live New York State. Look, the, the Seneca Nation's deeds issued, I mean, Seneca deeds, not New York State deeds. They were putting things like Town of Brant, County of Erie, State of New York on Seneca Nation deeds. It just doesn't make sense. These are the words we're choosing to, to use. So 
I want to talk about that. And part of the reason I want to have this conversation is that I got into it a little bit on Facebook with um, uh, with somebody who I probably don't disagree with on a bunch of things, but the, the conversation kind of went south. And somebody had brought up, and it wasn't even re related to the post that I put up, but somebody talked about Columbus labeling us Indians because he thought he was in India. That's not exactly true, but... It's truer than the myth that somebody created and, and has been perpetuated for, for several decades now, or at least a decade, that Columbus wasn't calling us Indians or, and that the word Indios, which would be the, the Spanish version of that word, that, which is spelled I-N-D-I-O-S, they were saying, well, what he really meant was N-E-N-D-E-O-S, which is N. Deos, which is like of God. There are people, native people, and I'm sure some non-native people who get caught into this, obviously, that believe the, the label that was pinned on us, this Indian's label, is a derivation of Columbus calling us godlike or from God or children of God. And it's wrong. I mean, it's, it's just, it's flat out wrong. But people have gravitated. Look, Russell Means you know, I've, I've seen this run across Facebook many times. Russell Means d does this whole, you know, spiel on this thing. And it's just wrong. Look, it is, it is very well documented, not only by Columbus, but uh, his contemporaries, the references they made to that area of the world, Asia, being, you know, referring it to as, uh, as east of the Indus River, and those islands being, the, in fact, the Europeans call it the, the East Indies. When Columbus landed in the Isles of Espanol in the, in the Caribbean, and these are all word labels that, that really shouldn't apply, but when he landed in the islands uh, off of the, the Western Hemisphere, he believed he had reached the East Indies. Ultimately, they would actually refer to those islands, once they knew better, as the West Indies. Well, why would they call them the West Indies? To be, again, to, to distinguish the West Indies, these islands that Columbus thought were the Indies, from the East Indies. He thought he was in, in the, he had reached the Indian Ocean. And, and, and it's clear. I mean, it's well documented. But the fact that, that Columbus would, would double label, even if you believe this, this Endios thing, which is wrong, <laughs> even if you want to believe that, it's still a label that got pinned on us. And now, and, and, and got pinned on us in such a way that it became this universal word. But it's a word that we at some point began. To, I mean, look, Seneca Nation, on much of their, their letterheads and, and, and in many ways, there's the federal government recognized them as the Seneca Nation of Indians, the Oneida Indian Nation, O-I-N, Oneida Indian Nation of New York. I mean, look, the word Indian uh, shows up in many of the labels or, or the, the names that, that Native peoples are referred to, and ultimately we refer to ourselves, and it's unnecessary. Look, if if you're saying the word Seneca, which even that, even that is an imposed name, it it is redundant to say you know Seneca Indians. Well, it does it doesn't make sense. I mean, if you're saying Mohawk or Oneida, and and all of these words are essentially bastardized from our original uh, words Onondaga, Onyotaaga, Ganyakaaga. These are our words. But not only do we, do we take the, the bastardized versions of what we called ourselves and then accept 
those labels, we stick words like reservation and tribe and uh, you know and Indian in the name. Look, there are some up in Aquasasni. For years, it was referred to as the Saint Regis Indians. There's no such thing as a Saint Regis Indian, but that's the label that stuck. And in fact. The, the federally recognized Mohawks are the St. Regis Mohawk tribe. And let me, let me fill you in on this one. The word Mohawk got added fairly recently. It was just a St. Regis tribe of Indians. I mean, that's, that's what the label was. When you, you go out west and you, and you see not only did, well, before I go out west, the word Mohawk, the word Mohawk was, isn't our word. It's not the words of the Gunyangahaga. It's not the words of, uh, it's not even a Haudenosaunee word. It was a word by some, you know, theories of etymology comes from either the Dutch or the Hurons and it meant flesh eater or something along those lines. That's not that, but, but we still, I still use the word. I almost have to use the word to qualify. So when I tell somebody that I'm Gunyagahaga, I often got to say what you know as Mohawk, but I'll tell you, look at Mohawk on the internet. You know what you're going to get? A haircut. That's, that's what shows up when you do a Google search on the word Mohawk. So there you go. But if you go out west, there, there are not only places that identify themselves as the military forts that they were confined to, Fort Peck, um, you know, uh, Colville. I mean, there, there are all these, these places that were, again, were, the, were not identifying ourselves as the people we are. Lac de Flambeau. Not exactly a native, uh, a native name, you know, um, a Cor d'Alene. I mean, these, and I'm not criticizing the people. I mean, so if anybody is offended by me, Sue, the word Sue is, you know, and, I, and if I get this wrong, the, the way I understood it, the way it was told to me was that that's a, a word that means snake in, in some other native language. I'm not even sure which language it is. The Sioux. They're Lakota, they're Dakota, they're Nakota. These are, that's who they are. But Cheyenne River Sioux, three words, two of them English and one of them, you know, a bastardized, uh, you know, a, a, a slur essentially associated. And that's what an entire group of people call themselves. The, you know, so this, these are labels that we're, uh, that we've accepted. And so not only are, are some of these words misnomers, mis, uh, mislabels, you know, like, like the word Indians coming from Columbus, but so much of, the, uh, of these other uh, characterizations of us. The word tribe, and, and I've talked about this on the show before, so let me, let me address it again. Tribe is not a compliment. It is not a, a, some, some sort of scientific word that, you know, that, designates a group of people it, it has a derogatory tone not just tone but but meaning to it look when you hear the news folks you know refer to the tribal regions of afghanistan they don't mean the sophisticated regions if when you hear you know somebody um again the talking heads refer to politicians having gone tribal they doesn't that doesn't mean that they've elevated their sophistication it means that they become more base, more primitive, and they're behaving in a, uh, in a less human fashion. So if the word tribe and tribal, when applied every place else by, by journalists, by you know, print media, television media, radio media, 
if if that if those two words tribe and tribal are always meant to be derogatory, how does it mean something different when it's applied to us? So when I hear people say, "Well, we're, you know, we're a, we're a tribal people," what the freak does that even mean? I mean, are are we calling ourselves? You know, I see on Facebook, oh, what tribe are you? I, every time I see that, that meme on Facebook, I give the same answer. I'm not a tribe. Or I ignore it completely, which is probably what I should do more often. But so, so these words, these labels, they do matter because we are using them. We're identifying ourselves with these things. So not, not only, we're not even taking the time, I should say, to redefine the words, to say, look, when I say it, I don't mean this, this, and this. When I say those words, I mean this, this, and this. See, we don't even do that. The word sovereignty, you know, got, got into a debate. And, and the debate, again, some of the times these debates devolve into just insulting people. You know, the question was about whether, what does sovereignty mean? And are we sovereign? Well, for one thing, let's understand where the word comes from. I mean, it's a, it's a French word. You can tell because it's got G's and N's in funny places. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a French word. And it is, the word is about power. It's not about independence. It's not about, um, you know, it, it isn't, it, it is really just about power and where and who has the power. So the, the, the meaning of the word comes from this notion that a group, these royal families, the, the crowns of, these, of, these, of the lands, these uh, nations of Europe, were, they were perpetuating this myth through the Vatican, <laughs> through the Catholic Church, that God had bestowed authority on certain families and that those families were the sovereigns. They, were, they had the power, and that power was vested in them by God himself. Now, I hate to you know, be blunt about it, but it's, it's, it's bullshit. I mean, it, it's just simply not true. Th this notion that God said this family... Not just this king, the whole family line has been bestowed by some spirit in the sky to have power not only over other people, but over land. So when they talk about the reign of, 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 you know, of a sovereign, so this notion that the sovereign is the king or the monarch, and, that, and where did he get the power? Where did he get that power? He didn't get it just through childbirth. He didn't get it just through, through a birthright, although because the myth was that a family was given that power, the, the birthright was if you were born in that family, not everybody's born with it, only certain people who can, who can follow a line can say that they were bestowed by God with certain power. I mean, and it gets so bad that, look, there are people who quote from the Bible who say, well, and of course, there are, there are Republicans that will say, whatever the king, whatever the president says is law. And, and it can't be wrong. It can't be challenged. In fact, you know, I remember when Jeff Sessions was the attorney general, he had used some biblical quote, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines that it was a sin to challenge government. It was a sin to challenge government because governments would not exist if it wasn't God's will to have them exist. I mean, it, this circular logic and reason is just incredible. So, again, again, getting back to the word sovereign. When we appropriate that word as, from, an, from a native perspective, 
I know that what we're trying to say is that we have uh, our own authority uh, as a people, but there, the question becomes where does that where does that sovereignty rest in a people? I mean, in its original form, it was it rests with the monarch. The 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 king or the queen was the sovereign, not the not the nation. It, it wasn't the UK. It wasn't France. France wasn't sovereign. The crown was sovereign. So, because it, it doesn't make sense to say that France has the authority. It's the leadership. It's where that, that power is vested, so to speak. So when we get into, into a political science debate, and we talk about democracies or republics or monarchies or various forms of government, one of the, the, the key and interesting debates is always going to be, well, where's the power vested? And in a monarchy, it's clear where it is. And in a democracy, supposedly, the power is vested in the people in mass, mean, meaning the will of the people altogether is where the power is vested. And it's the people who are sovereign. Now, in, in a republic, which is actually probably a closer label Again, not ours, but a closer label to put on, on something like the way the Haudenosaunee or the Guyana or the Goa operates. But a republic recognized that every living creature is born with a right to carry themselves. Whether, you know, whether it's an animal, whether it's a rabbit or a, a squirrel, a deer, a bear, a wolf. That we are all born with not with just a, 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 an authority... To, to, to carry ourselves, but a right and a duty to carry ourselves. We have a, we, we have a word in our language that, that talks about we, we carry ourselves. They want the Tawi. And, and what it means is that we, it's the closest word we have to something like sovereignty, but it just means that we have the right and the power and responsibility to carry ourselves. So within a republic, a, the sovereignty is vested in the individual, not in the, the mass of individuals, but in, that everybody is born with, with, a, with this authority. And, and not just everyone, but everything that is born is born with a certain right and authority within themselves. But you see, that's, that's not the, the conversation. When I hear somebody says, well, are, are we really sovereign if we're collecting... Um, um, monies from the federal government or the state government that's not even those two words don't even fit in the same in, in the same conversation but but again we're using words that aren't ours now if we say we have the right to carry ourselves that means we have the right to to find ways to sustain ourselves now look there's a difference between being sovereign in in the way it's being used and being self-sufficient in fact, we could argue that all of life is connected. And in fact, if you believe what, is, what, what people put out there as native philosophy, that we're all related. So there is no um, individual self-sustainability, that we all depend on each other. We're all connected. So to say that you're independent, you know, these words can, you know, can, can be manipulated. So if you're saying we have um, uh, an independent authority, okay, that's different than saying that, that you're, you're completely independent or self-sufficient. There are very few countries in the world, 
and or nations as they're defined, and we'll even talk about that word later on, that are completely independent. The, the world is a, is a much more connected place. The United States has countries all over the world, and, and not just China, but many countries all over, all over the world that are carrying U.S. debt. They, they buy U.S. bonds. So much of the, the economic value of the United States is held by other people in, in, terms, in terms of, it's just paper, but that's what they believe, right? That's how they, that's how they print more money. So, I mean, Israel gets billions of dollars from the United States uh, every, you know, every year. But nobody questions whether, in fact, you see it all the time, you know, well, Israel has the right to defend its sovereignty. Okay, but if you're going to use the argument, well, if you, but if you get money from another country, you're not really sovereign. We have that debate. No other countries have that. No other peoples have that debate. Even very needy third world countries never question whether they have the right to, to claim their own sovereignty. But, but we have that question. And again, we don't look at where the word comes from, what it really means. We get looped into these conversations. And a lot of times it's very, very self-deprecating. We, we like, we want to insult ourselves or, or we want to blame some, well, future generations or, or, I mean, past generations, they got us into debt and they, um, you know, they, made deals that uh, have us dependent on, you know, the United States or on New York state or on this state or, or the province or Canada. Look, <laughs> whatever those terrible agreements may have been, we still get to decide how we carry ourselves going forward. Look, the, the census is, uh, you know, is a hot topic right now because the, the Republicans are trying to, you know, Trump in particular is trying to cut short the ability for the United States to do their census, which they do every decade. Now, what is the purpose of the census? Well, the census is to count every person in the United States, not every citizen, but every person. And the reason for, for doing that head count is for the apportionment of congressional representation. So in the, in the House of Representatives, the, the congressmen, how many states... Get, you know, how many congressmen each state gets. Look, for those of you who don't know the civics lesson, every state has two senators, but every state has, um, has congressmen uh, apportioned as a, as a percentage of, uh, along their, their population lines. So one of the main functions of the census is to apportion representation in the, in the House of Representatives. The other function is to... Um, is to determine, uh, you know, funding, taxation, and, and, and those kinds of things, financial issues. Well, as a Native person, I don't think these congressmen represent me. I mean, uh, let me take it back. I know they don't. I don't consider myself a U.S. citizen. So do I need to have my numbers, my body counted, so New York State can ha hang on to their congressmen as, as, as the exodus in New York State goes on? No, I don't think I need to be counted for New York State's benefit. And, and as far as the funding and the taxation, that all has to do with New York State, too. I, I, as many times as I see a native post on Facebook or Twitter or anyplace else that says, we need to be counted. Oh, we're being deprived of being counted in the U.S. Census. And I'm thinking, so what? Dollars that come to native territories, for one thing, I'm not a big fan of, of, of that kind of dependency anyway, but, but I've never seen any evidence 
that dollars that, that come to native territory are determined or, or established through the, through the U.S. Census. States, highway funds, I mean, state funding, you know, airports, you know, all kinds of other things that, you know, federal infrastructure dollars that go into the states may be determined by their population. But, I mean, and to, to make this point even more clear, when you, if you participate in the census, regardless of who you are, the race, ethnicity is, is almost a meaningless box to check. In fact, it, it is, it, it's probably illegal. <laughs> but, uh, but if you list yourself in the U.S. census as a, as a Native American, that doesn't mean that you really are. That means that that's what you told the, the, the person who knocked on your door you know, to take your census information. You don't have to ever prove anything. And, and you can live any place. You know, so when they grab up this census data and they say, well, we've determined that the native population is X based on the latest census, that information is about as inaccurate as could be. And look, granted, if you live on a native territory, the likelihood is you're going to put down that you're, native, you're a native person if you participate in the census. Not, and I'm not advocating that, but if that's what you do. But there's also a lot of white people who, you know, have the whole grandmother was a Cherokee princess. I know that's old and trite, but that's but it's true. We have we have people continuously claiming to have native ancestry. And in this at the census is when they think they think this is the opportunity for, for me to say it. OK, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm uh, you, you need to include Native American in, in my uh, on my census report. Well, again, the accuracy of that, and, and does that mean that more dollars, if we can get a bunch of white people to claim that they're Native American when they fill out their census, that more dollars are going to come to Native people? No. No, it doesn't. So, again, I, I, I say any of this stuff because we get sucked into these words like Native American, like U.S. citizen. Uh, look, even, even words like membership, I mean, how many times have you seen, or, or maybe how many times have you yourself said, well, I'm an enrolled member of the Seneca Nation or the Mohawk Nation or, you know, or whatever. I mean, I'm an, I'm an enrolled member. Well, what the freak does that mean? I mean, are we clubs? Are we just these loose-knit organizations that there's an entry fee to pay? I mean, it, it, those are terrible words for us to use, but we use them. I mean, I've, I've seen people running for office. Oh, I'm an enrolled member of such and such, or uh, they, they put it on their resume that way. Look, if you're ungwe ungwe, and, and you need to tell somebody else that who doesn't understand what the word means, you don't, it's enough to say you're Seneca without having to say you're an enrolled member of the Seneca Nation of Indians. So why do we do this? Well, Stephen Newcomb wrote a column a number of years ago in Indian Country Today, and, he, and, he, and he, I think the question he asked in the title was, are we tribes? Or, or were we tribes before um, colonization? And, of course, the answer is no, we weren't. Now, the, the next question is, but are we? Have we given a reality to words that aren't ours, that were imposed upon? Have we made these words real? Have we, have we created a truth based on labels that have been imposed upon us? Yeah, we kind of have. 
So what do we do about it? But we stop using the freaking words. That's what we start doing. We start having meaningful conversations about education and about our identity, who we are. And I know this is tough because, look, we're still caught into this ongoing policy of assimilation. Yeah, I know the United States claims, well, no, we're in, we're in an era of self-determination for Native people. Bullshit. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're still fully engaged in, in those five policies. I got a video on YouTube. You can, you can look it up. Five policies. But the policy that has been the most consistently used policy throughout American history has been the policy of assimilation. And assimilation is genocide. Now, look, I get into heated conversations every time somebody says, well, we should go vote. And I said, look, if you want to vote, you're just you're just empowering, you know, the United States more more so against you are essentially um, participating in your own oppression by helping to select your next agents of oppression. And, you know, and and we get into it. And and of course, then somebody's going to say, well, we've got uh, we've got women who were elected into Congress. Not by us. They weren't. Sorry. I, look, I'm not saying it's terrible if Native, per, Native people join the American system and become politicians and advance their careers and that kind of stuff. Well, maybe I will. Maybe I will say it's terrible because we lose people when, we, when that happens. And so when people want to say, oh, how wonderful Deborah Halland is or Sharice David, look, they joined the ruling class. They aren't our leaders. They are state they represent states in the U.S. Congress. They represent Kansas and New Mexico. They don't represent us. In fact, they didn't get elected by us. White people voted them in. I'm not saying Native people, some Native people didn't vote. And, and will they advance some Native issues? Well, I would hope so. But I don't think that's the reason for all of us to jump into that ship. And so what, then, then I get accused of being a woman hater. I'm not hating women. I think it's, it's equally wrong for a man to do it. <laughs> and you know what? Most of the men who are in, in Congress who, are, who have Native ancestry, the Republicans. And look, we can get into a debate over which party serves Native people better. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a hint, neither. But these are the conversations we have because we don't understand our own identity. And I, look, I've talked a lot about identity, but, but these words are what, we're, what we are using to identify ourselves. All right. Hey, we're about at, uh, just about at the bottom of the hour. So we're going to take a break and we come back. I'm going to get into this a little bit more. I want to talk about, about how we label where we live. And I talked about it at the beginning, at the beginning of the show, but I'm going to talk about that more. Our addresses and what they should be. This is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. All right. Hey, yeah. Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Hey, and we are talking about words, but let me fill in some other words here. And those words are words of gratitude and thanks to my sponsors. I want to uh, thank Ross John and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank Eric White and ERW Enterprises uh, and the folks at uh, Grand River Enterprises as well. And I also want to thank those of you who help when I ask, you know, you, you're not the weekly sponsors or the monthly sponsors, but you're the ones who help when I ask. And, and, I, and we appreciate that. It's how we, we keep trying to improve what we're doing here. So, uh, so again, I, I thank you. Nyawe, Nyawe Goa. There we go. Look, and, and I say that to, to kind of bring in the next point. And 
Well, let me back up here just for a second. I gotta apologize. Yesterday was my 38th wedding anniversary, so I'm gonna take a moment because it is my privilege to do this. <laughs> to uh, I want to wish my wife a happy anniversary. Uh, 38 years yesterday. Um, yes, we have been married for a long time, which means we're probably pretty old. Um, my wife will remind me all the time that she's younger than me, and she is. So, but again. Happy anniversary to my wife, Brenda, and who also I need to thank because she shares the show across a bunch of uh, the, uh, the Facebook uh, group pages. So anyway, let me go on. Look, we use English. In a, in a perfect world, we would really devote a lot of attention, and some places do, to, to relearning our language. And the, our language would be the way that we communicate in predominantly. But let's be honest. Even if we spoke our language fluently, on all of our territories, at some point when we communicate to the people who are not our people, we have to understand how to do that. So we're going to have to understand how to use English words to describe our concepts. And, and here's the problem. It's not a word-for-word -word swap. You just can't take an English word and say, uh, or take a native word and say, well, the English word for that is X, Y, and Z. It's not that simple. It may take a little bit of an explanation because our words are, are, are usually based on images. You know, much of, many native languages are not noun-based. They're not labels. So you can't just say, well, this means that because this and that are nouns. So, but, we, but if we use words that are either descriptive, you know, adjectives, adverbs, verbs that are describing an action or what something does or, or you know, something that describes, you know, describes something to to explain what it is so if we're going to if we're going to use a word that in english would be a noun and we need to use our language for it we might have to be more descriptive so and, and i know this might be confusing but it is difficult because english has become and many of the uh, you know germanic and, and latin languages are very noun based and since our languages aren't they don't translate that well and I'm not saying they can't translate because, again, if you're using if, if words are supposed to capture images, which is what they're supposed to do. I mean, the reason to have a language written or spoken is so you can relate an experience, something that you saw, something that you did. So you're, you're actually using these words, these concoctions, these things that come from our mouth or our hands to to paint a picture, to create an image. Well, we have expressions in uh, in in our language that are that are metaphors. So when we we when we describe something, even the idea of um, you know when when we talk about settling a conflict, for instance, the image that is captured in the words that we use refer to almost like a snowstorm where the snow settles. So we use we we use descriptive language, so that image comes into your head immediately. The problem with, with some languages is the labels become so entrenched that we no longer have the image that, the, that the, those words were intended to, uh, to capture. When we talk about understanding something, you know, where does that word come from? Understanding? We know what stand means and under means. How does it come to, be, to mean what it does? Uh, we, we, talk, we use metaphors like, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I can grasp that idea. Well, if you understand what that that um, that expression says or means, 
you can't grab an idea isn't something you can grab onto. So what what you're really saying when you use an expression like grasp an idea is is can can my mind understand it? Can my mind grab take hold of an idea? Because that's the only place an idea can be grasped is in the mind. You can't grab it with your hands. So but we don't create those images when we when we use some of these trite expressions in in English. And and if we we don't keep our language alive, our native language, we are going to do the same thing and uh, that that has happened to other languages. They become just labels. We just and they become thoughtless. We don't understand the meanings behind them. So it is really important, even if we're going to use English. And look, we're always going to use English to some degree. You know, most of the written text in the world, you know, at least in our world, is going to be in English. So we, we still need to understand English and we need to communicate in it. And I think if we understood our language, we, we would be better at communicating in English because we would, we would take the time to find the English words that could describe a concept that's, that's, you know, that has been locked into our language. So, I, and, and I say that because the, the easy answer, anytime you talk about, you know, misidentifying, you know, words or words usage is, well, we should use our own language. And I agree, we should, we should. And, and you know, there's no problem with, with explaining to somebody what ungwe means or what Haudenosaunee or Rudenosaunee or using our actual names like Gunyagahaga, uh, the people of the land of Flint. Um, or Oniotaaga, the people from the land where the stones stand, or uh, Onundawaga, the people of the big hills or the mountains, and that's Seneca, Oneida, and Mohawk going backwards, by the way. For, for, and again, it's, it really sucks that I'm having to use those words to, to explain them. But see, this is, we can take the time. This is the burden that we have and the responsibility we have to properly identify ourselves, to properly communicate. Look, if we're going to teach children, you know, who they are, where they live. I'm, and like I said, I, I, I talked earlier about this notion of Seneca Nation deeds. My, my friend uh, Matt, he's, he, he said, look, I, I refuse to accept this deed issued to me by the Seneca Nation. It says Town of Brant on it or whatever it was, Brant, Collins, whatever. It says Erie County. It says New York State. And why would any of that stuff be needed? Look, we live in a world today where you can describe a parcel of property by using GPS coordinates, if you wanted to, for that matter. But if you wanted to, you know, just describe the land as being located on the Cattaraugus territory of the Sangha Nation, isn't that enough? I mean, of course it is. I mean, the William Seneca building... The address for that is Irving, New York. And it's not in Irving, New York. It's on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We don't need to use their town identifiers, their county identifiers, or their state identifiers to describe where, where we are standing or sitting or living. So, again, for me, I'm not going to write the word Perrysburg on, uh, on my return address anymore. I realize if you're doing stuff electronically, it's very, if, if the second you put in a zip code, it's going to pop up a township. But to the extent that we can write our address down, we should, we should correct it. The William Seneca Building should not list itself as Irving, New York. It should be the William Seneca Building. Look, if you want to use the highway or you know, the, the, 
uh, you know, Route 438, or if you want to use, you know, four mile level road, whatever you, road you want to call, what, the road you want to call it, you can use the road and and the box number, you know, on your uh, on your mailbox. But you don't need to put Irving, New York, the 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 Seneca Allegheny Administration Building, the Saab Building, as they call it. It doesn't have to say Salamanca, New York on it. It can be the Allegheny Territory of the Seneca Nation. So, I mean, and these are simple things that, that should have been done a long time ago. And look, and I say this knowing that there is some effort to do that, you know, and, and some are doing that, but we're not doing it across the board. I mean, and some of this stuff clearly can start with, with governance. It can start with, you know, the officials, the elected or the, you know, whatever, the, whether you're traditional leadership or, or whatever claim to be or whatever, whatever your governmental form is, we don't have to use Basem, New York for Tonawanda. We don't have to use Irving, New York for, for Seneca. I mean, we don't have to use Sanborn for, for Tuscarora or whatever people use. And, and if you put the zip code down, your mail's going to come to you. So you don't have to be afraid of that. But there should be an official statement made. I mean, it would, it would be great to hear the Seneca Nation come out and say, we are no longer using the township's names for the addresses on the Cattaraugus or Allegheny Territory of the Seneca Nation. How, how hard is that? And then just let, next time you get the printer to print out your letterhead, don't print those words on there. It really is that simple. And look, and I'm glad to see more of our words being used on signs on signage, whether it's, you know, for, you know, traffic signs or whether it's when you enter our, our territories. You know, some of that still has some language, language problems, but, uh, but at least it's, it's, you know, it begins the re-indoctrination of, of our language as it applies to our, our people and our territories. And I, and I think that's a good thing. So, so let's do more of it. You know, I, somebody once posted, I saw somebody post again on Facebook. It says, you know, no matter how few words you know in your language, use them because our ancestors will hear you. And I'm thinking, no, they won't. They're dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that sounds cold and callous. You know who will hear you? Your children will hear you. It, what's more important? This belief that our ancestors are hearing us use native words or our future generations are hearing us use these words. I mean, come on, let's, let's use a little common sense here, too. I know this is where I cross a line and manage to piss off a few people, but, but, but so be it. Look, I think, as I said in the very beginning, words do matter. And we get choices. We have choices on the words that we use. We can, you know, look, when we talk about indoctrination and assimilation... Much of that starts with the conversations we have every day. And look, do I slip and say things sometimes that I have to take back immediately? Yeah, I do. I mean, every once in a while, I'll slip and I'll say, well, the problem with our country, and I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait I'm sorry. It's not my country. It's, um, it's the United States. I, I've made that mistake. I still, I still slip sometimes and say it. But I also try to really, really draw a firm line in the distinction between who I am um, 
in the relationship to where I live and the people that I come from and the colonizers. I, I'm not a U.S. citizen. And, you know, this is another word that, that we get stuck with, right? You know, because we even, we'll even say something like, well, I'm a citizen of the Mohawk Nation. No, I'm not that either. Because if you look at the definition of citizen, it talks about being affiliated to a governing system. There are Native people who live in every community that don't support the, what is the recognized governance. We talk about this with Six Nations. I think less than 4% of the population in, in, on the Six Nations in Grand River, Oswego, participate in the band council elections. But the band councils are recognized as, as some sort of legitimate government. How could a, a government that only has 4% participation in their existence be legitimate? You know, look, in, in every territory, there are people who, who, who don't participate in what is the recognized. And by recognized, I mean, I mean recognized by the colonizers, recognized by Canada, recognized by the U.S., recognized by the province, recognized by the state. We don't participate in those, in those elections. Even here in Seneca Nation, which has a decent turnout for their elections, there are some people who just don't feel right about casting a vote. Not only because the, the system is flawed, and it is flawed, but there are people who have philosophical problems with it. Look, I've got the two-row wampum hanging on my wall beside me. That two-row wampum doesn't, never had any little wampums threaded to it to say, okay, here's where you can leave your canoe, go vote in their, in, in their little um, uh, their elections, and then sneak back across and, and, and back, back into your own purple band on the two-row wampum. No. It says we won't participate in their system. That we will that we will coexist. We will, we will sail down on parallel paths down the river of life. We will have our own paths that are designed not to interfere with each other. Every time somebody says go out and vote, they're telling you to violate the Tura Wampum. And look, I get it. Many people are okay with that. I'm still not okay with that. Now, we can get into a debate whether my use of English violates the Tura Wampum or not. Yeah, we can have that debate. You know, whether I wear blue jeans, uh, does that uh, you know, violate the Tura Or whether I use money you know, to, to buy my goods. That, look, we can have that debate. But that's a debate. There's no question that voting in American elections or in Canadian elections is us assimilating into their system, which is what they want. Now, I know what you, some people are going to say. Well, if they want it so bad, why do they make it so tough for us to vote? And, of course, they'll talk about North Dakota. Well, again, I'm going to revisit this one more time, and I've talked about it in the past. If in North Dakota, they're telling you that in order to register to vote, you need to list your residence. Your post office box isn't enough. You need to list where you live. Well, for one thing, that's not a difficult thing to do. And I know people say, well, yeah, but I don't have, uh, we don't have a street address. Yeah, well, you can get a street address if you want one. I mean, and, and who's going who's gonna to check it anyway, right? <laughs> but so if you just make up the name of your road and you put a house number on your house, then, you know, um, the, what's the post office going to say? Well, we can't recognize that. Well, but regardless of that, think about what they're asking you to do. They're asking you to list where you live. And this is a major problem that I have, especially here living in Seneca territory or any of the Haudenosaunee lands here. They want you to list your home, where you sleep at night, 
where you raise your children, where you eat your dinner as part of the state. Let me say it again. In order to list your residence on your voter registration form, you are saying that your residence is in Erie County. It's in congressional district number what, what, what? I don't know, 97 or whatever it is in New York State. You are literally telling the state government that where you live is within one of their congressional districts. So is that them making it difficult for you to vote? Look, they don't care whether you vote or not, really. But they sure would love to have you list all your properties as part of the state. And, and I know people are going to say, yeah, but that's just politically, that's just for election. Is it? Is it? So if we, call, if we say our address is Irving or, um, or Town of Brant or County of Erie, that those words don't matter? Well, if they don't matter, then why use them? <clears throat> Look, this, the words do matter. They matter in, in, in shaping our identity, how we teach our children. Look, how, how we advance our culture. Look, we, we took an, we've taken a word that would mean the great mystery. Or we talk about the power of creation. And now we manipulate that and we say the creator all the time, which is just another way of saying God. And I know somebody, no, we don't mean it when we say it that way. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you're, you're paralleling a Christian belief system. So religion, spirituality, <clears throat> you know, this ritualistic way of, of life that some people have, this is another way that we adopt that. That's another way we would get into that system. I mean, <clears throat> the president of the United States at the time thought it was great that the Senecas were beginning to move towards a religious belief system in the Code of Handsome Lake. They talked about it. It's, it's documented. Because that they thought it was that, that once you have an organized religion, you are more manageable. Especially if that religion happens to parallel existing white uh, organized religions. So, again, religion and spirituality, when we shape it and we, and we form it so it matches you know, and we do that. Look, I've seen people list on a form. Well, what, what is your religious affiliation? They'll, they'll put Longhouse. Really? Longhouse is a religion? And, and we're, we stick it in there like it's okay? That's, that's us putting us in their box. That's, we, uh, we're doing it to ourselves when we do that. So my message here is, yes, there are words that we choose to use. So choose them wisely. Let's use words that more accurately describe who we are, even if they're in English. I mean, look, every one of our words can be, uh, are descriptive. We can use English words to describe it. So if we want to say, uh, we say the people of, of the land where the stones stand up. Now, is that, that's a more of a mouthful than saying Oneida or Onyotaaga, but we can do it. And we should on every occasion when we use a word that doesn't exactly fit us or that somebody may not understand, we should take the time to explain it. I mean, when we say ongwe ongwe, let's, 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 let's explain what ongwe ongwe really means. We know that it, we mean it to mean us native people. But why do we use ongwe ongwe to mean us native people? Well, because it means 
real people. And by real, meaning real with a past, real with a future, and real by being grounded to the land that they come from. So when we say original people, that's not even, even the right translation. It means a people who are real because they have a connection to their mother, <clears throat> to, the, to, the, to the ground that they live on. And now I know <clears throat> we've been relocated. We've been relocated through the Removal Act and, and so many other things. And some of us are living in lands that are not uh, where we come from. And I'm not talking about me being Gunyagahaga living in uh, Onondawaga territory because we're related. You know, that, those, those words are descriptions of who, where we come from, the people of the land of Flint, the people of the, of the big hills or the mountains. We're still the people. So when we use words like, like ongwe ongwe, which is a more encompassing, it means you know, basically people who are still connected to their homeland, meaning we're not talking about white people. And we're not even talking about black people because black people were ripped from their homes to come here. Now, I'm not saying that, that somebody who's not native can't develop many of the characteristics that, that tie them to the, to the ground. Absolutely they can. But when we say ongwe ongwe, we, we mean native people. So we can describe that. Look, another word that, that, that is an important word to me, uh, especially this year, is um, the Gaius. It is a word that some people just say, oh, that means town destroyer. In fact, you can look, if you look up uh, on, online, if you Google search town destroyer, you will, it'll, it'll come up. Uh, and there might be various ways of spelling it, you know, and with the H or with, instead of with the R, but the word that I describe as Runda the Gaius, that's the Mohawk word. It doesn't actually turn, translate to town destroyer. I talked to um, Jeff Doreen and, uh, you know, Degarundage and, and others, and they said, it's more vicious than that. It's not the idea of burning a town. It, when they talk about this kind of destruction, they mean like a senseless destruction, like a tearing away of flesh, not tearing away the flesh to consume it, to eat it. In fact, you know, Jeff told me that it, um, it's, uh, the word actually has some of the, the, um, the pieces to the word for, for shark. The same word that we would have for shark it has some of the same root uh, roots to it that are in Rana de Gaius. And I, and I don't know the word for shark, so I, I apologize for that. But um, Dagorundage would describe it as a, as a rabid dog. Not a dog just eating flesh, but a rabid dog that just tears away at flesh. That's the, that's the picture that our people created for describing George Washington and his policy towards the Haudenosaunee, towards the, the Senecas, towards the Cugas, in particular, with the, with the Sullivan campaign. When he said, destroy their land and destroy their food supply and don't, don't listen to any appeals for peace or surrender, you need to destroy the land. And, and, and he basically said, you need to cause intergenerational trauma. They need to know the terror of their chastisement. That, uh, these are the words of George Washington. So when you see the words that he used to, to give the orders to John Sullivan, you can more accurately understand why our people would use almost this graphic, morbid word, Ronda de Gaius, to describe the President of the United States. 
And every president since George Washington lived up to this notion that they were out to destroy us. Look, there wasn't a word for genocide when we when we described when we when we coined this word Rondatagaius. We didn't have a word genocide. But genocide is again this idea of terror of the senseless destruction of a people, which is what George Washington and every president since, all 45 of them, Democrats and Republicans. And you know what? <clears throat> After November, the next one will also be a destroyer of our, of our people. At, at some level, they will continue. And you know what? One of the ways to destroy our people is to, is to assimilate, is to force us, is to convince us, and then find our own people within our, within our midst, our own people. Find them to convince us to vote in their elections, to run for their offices, to endorse their candidates, to, to do all of that stuff. That ends up being part of the, that's part of the assimilation process. It's not just the language we use, it's the words we choose to use. Choose wisely. Thanks for listening. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.